Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, April 11th, Project Prospect Edition. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Chris, Chris Welsh here with you. Easy for me to say. On this episode, we are going to take a look at a few news and notes from around the minor leagues. We've got a couple of prospects getting opportunities. We have some graduations from prospect lists early in the season. So we'll talk about some players maybe that have moved up. We've got a Stuff Plus report for the pitchers at AAA. So we'll talk about some of the surprises Mostly the pleasant surprises, perhaps a few unpleasant surprises there, and we'll see where the wind carries us. There's a few other things on the show sheet. I don't know how far we're going to get. We're still getting used to the three of us who all kind of talk a lot working together, so we we, we plan what looks like a three-hour show in the end based on the amount of stuff we actually get off of the rundown. So we begin today with some news. We saw Aaron Savali go on the IL at the big league level with an oblique strain, but it's going to be Peyton Battenfield, at least on the roster for now, potentially taking over that spot in the rotation. So not Tanner Beebe, not, you know, Gavin Williams or one of the other prospects. So, uh, Welsh, I'm going to kick this to you first because you've gotten a look at Battenfield before. Should we be excited about him as a possible short-term replacement for Aaron Savali? Maybe even a mid-range replacement for Savali, given how long oblique injuries can take. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd be uh, ecstatic about him. It was funny enough, like, you know, the amount of guys I actually were able to catch on the backfield in games. I happened to catch Peyton Battenfield uh, over on the Dodgers side going up against what was a pretty good Dodgers team, Diego Cartaya. Um, there's a tweet out there if you guys want to check it out. One time Diego did get a, a hold of him, but Peyton Battenfield struck him out a couple times. Got a really nasty breaking pitch, like a slider he can throw off the corner. Uh, good command pitcher, not a whiff pitcher. He doesn't blow anything by anybody. And there's also a little bit of talk I saw that he might actually be one of these guys that could come in in relief, which would then open up this opportunity. Then need to bring up another guy. And uh, there's a, an account I follow, Guardians Perspective. They have all the info on the Guardians that is suggesting that another pitching prospect with this team could be coming up. And that would be Logan Allen, uh, one of the many Logan Allen Allens that exist in the world of prospects. And they're all pitchers apparently, but Logan Allen would be another one of those and guys. Two of them are even lefties. Yeah. They're both left <laughs> and they both pitch for the guardians at one time. Uh, the other yeah, Logan right. Allen is now yeah. with the Rockies, by the way. But um, funny enough, Logan Allen actually also showed up on this uh, stuff plus report because he is up in triple a, he ended up striking out five, went four and two thirds in his first start. I'm kind of jumping the gun because there's no definitive thing that that is necessarily going to happen. But he showed up, um, you know, he showed up, I believe, on the report and he could be the guy. But Peyton Battenfield, if he were to be thrown into relief, not my thing. Like I said, it's a it's an okay, you know, commandy type of location pitcher more than he has anything else. I'm a little bit surprised he came over Tanner, uh, Tanner Bybee. I thought Bybee would be the guy who uh, popped up, I believe, with that 107 stuff plus. That's right. It's 
Bybee. We talked about this last week. Bybee. It is just not yeah. intuitive to me at all that it's Tanner Bybee. Uh, and a lot of this, with pitching call-ups, the schedule is also a factor you have to keep in mind, too. Sometimes it's convenient because the rotations are in sync between different levels. You bring one guy up instead of the other if it's a short-term injury, and then you go ahead and bring up the, the longer-term fit once the schedule is actually in place. So that's always something to think about. Uh, but, you know, I want to talk to you about the Stuff Plus metric at AAA, right? A lot of things we look at, we look at, at stats. We try to evaluate pitchers from the Fangraphs page. It's really difficult to do that with prospects, for me at least, because each level of competition is so different, age to level competition, park factors are more extreme. There's all these things that make looking at minor league pitching numbers really difficult. But Stuff Plus, I think, gives us a better apples to apples comparison of where a true talent level is than pretty much anything that's out there. Is is that a fair use on my part, or am I trying to push uh, too much weight behind the model? I mean, we've long had this weird thing where we're better at predicting hitter success based on their minor league numbers than we are at predicting pitcher success uh, among prospects. And I think that the missing link, you know, in both cases, uh, really are stats that we don't have access to. You know, for pitchers, it's pitch movement and velo in their pitch mix. And for hitters, it's their batted ball stats. And that's why, you know, we've talked on this show even about how we're always trying to, like, find batted ball data for hitters. And I'm super excited now that all of AAA is included in the Minor League Stuff Plus report. So it's not just the PCL anymore. And that allows us a better peek into people that are closer to the big leagues. One thing that we've done differently with this year's uh, minor league stuff plus report is that we've, we've graded it based on the major leagues. So if you look at it this year, you'll see that the numbers are lower. That's because it's adjusted for the major leagues. And uh, so you have somebody like Simeon Woods Richardson and Kyle Harrison atop the list with a 130 stuff plus and a 120 stuff plus we saw guys with bigger numbers last year, uh, but this is adjusted to the big leagues and hopefully gives us a little bit of an insight into that missing link, um, you know, when it comes to prospects coming up. And and it, to our conversation here, uh, Tanner Bybee was um, 12th, I believe, uh, among starting pitchers uh, with Stuff Plus after one start. And um, who was the other guy? Battenfield. Uh, I I can't count. No, you had, but Logan Allen was on here. Logan Allen was actually seventh. Yeah, Uh, seventh. Logan Allen is seventh, right behind Grayson Rodriguez, to give you a a sense of where where he sits on that list. And uh, yeah, Battenfield was way down there with a ninety six stuff plus. You know, I'm I'm curious about something with with this, especially when it comes to like AAA. You you've mentioned that like the what is it? The location plus is kind of like null and void at this point. We just need like a, you need a much bigger sample size. Do you think it's more important to have not only stuff plus, but to also have like pitching plus and location to really evaluate these guys? Or are you super comfortable like making your evaluations off of just simply stuff plus? Because I, I kind of with these guys want to see the total package more than I would like a major leaguer, and focusing on just their ultimate stuff. Does that make sense? How I'm trying to say that. Like, I, is it more important? At no, hundred percent. And I think it's 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 something that goes beyond prospecting. It's something to think about when you're just using this model. And one of the things that um, that you have to realize is that Tom Tango did the the research, and he found that 
A, Stuff Plus beat Pitching Bot, <laughs> uh, but B, uh, he found that Stuff Plus added no predictive quality, that Location Plus added no predictive quality to Stuff Plus, so that he's basically saying, don't look at Location Plus. Mm. He says, you know, it, it adds no predictive quality. However, back in the day, I looked at Command Plus and Location Plus, and they predicted innings pitched per appearance. Now, you can see if you start looking at the entire population of players and you want to look at predictive quality, then you're going to then you have a lot of relievers first of all, right? It's half and half. You have a ton of relievers. And so then stuff plus becomes more powerful because that's it's predicting way way better for all the relievers and also well for the starters, and so your overall package, you say stuff plus. However, we're interested in whether or not this guy is going to become a starter. You know, and so I would say 300, 400, 500 pitches in, you start caring about location plus because you can have a guy with a high stuff plus, especially in the minors where they're just blowing guys away, throwing to the middle of the plate, uh, you know, not really concerned with uh, starting to pare down their arsenal. You know, like, you know, you, I bet you Carlos Rodon threw more changeups in the minor leagues than he does in the major leagues because Carlos Rodon can't control his changeup. But in the minor leagues, he probably just threw it more often. People chased it because the hitters are worse. The umpires are worse. Everything's worse. So he threw it more. So he would have had a higher stuff plus even than he has in the major leagues, as an example. So you can have guys that can't control aspects of these of these arsenals that they won't port over to the major leagues. See, because like I look at the starters, the only the just curious at like how you piece it together. It's so interesting that like uh, Peyton Battenfield shows up so low on this. But when you look and you see, Log- you know, Logan Allen pops on this. He's only the second lefty on this list. You know, one of those guys you were just talking about where you're like a guy might get away with more. Kyle Harrison, to me, is like location and his command really struggles. And we've seen, I think he hasn't even gone three innings yet in the minors over well, two Well, that definitely starts. happened in his first start, but is that something you've seen in the past? Yeah, you know, command has been an issue. He had huge, huge strikeout numbers. And that's what I'm a little bit exactly what you just said with Radon. I wonder if that kind of carries over with like a guy like Kyle Harrison who can just blow by. I saw a little bit of it. We'll talk about it a little bit later. I want to talk about Brandon fought. I watch his entire start and there's even a little bit of that in there, but coming back, like um, Logan Allen comes in as only the second lefty in like the top 15 of this stuff. Plus, and he has a better stuff plus than Tanner Bybee, but Tanner Bybee, blows up that board if you look at location and pitching plus what's like 109 location plus 119 pitching plus and he's a 107 as a 13th guy but you're saying like it doesn't matter so you don't do you, you don't see that off of this like this first is too one? short it's this too is short? too okay. short right now we're looking at 70 we're looking at one start 70 pitches some guys have two starts it's too too little i'm just curious you, if there's you, like you a moment it. where it breaks it where it's like yeah it's too little but like for the guy to hit 105 plus on every single one of those in the first start. Does that get you going at all or just no? I don't know. It's a 300, 400 pitches. So I think we'd want, we'd want uh, four starts, five starts from these guys in the minors before we start looking too much at location plus. Um, But we do have uh, some numbers from last year for some of these guys. And I think in the case of uh, Brandon Fott in particular, that he has a demonstrated ability to command the ball. And I think I bet you if we had location plus on Bobby, he would they would say tell you the same thing in the past. Interesting. So it is definitely something to think about. But in the in the very beginning, you got to just look at stuff plus. And you know, good news for Simeon Woods Richardson. Good news for Taj Bradley. You know, good news for Mike Soroka who was on this list. Also, might make uh, a, a guy like Kyle Harrison, who 
you know, he like this huge stuff plus numbers. If you look at his numbers, though, he was one of the more dominant pitchers last year as, as far as a strikeout pitcher goes. He has gone two and two thirds this year. He has a 13 ERA and two starts, and he has not gone three innings over these two, yet he pops on the stuff plus. Just throwing it out to dynasty owners that, yet his stats were great last year, but there are serious command issues that could be fixed and two horrible results, but the stuff plus numbers absolutely in your face that that might be a little bit of like a, a comfort, a little bit of, a, I think, cause I think there's a lot of but focus on the top end pitchers. Mark. I mean, there's some question marks there. Well, which one is it more to you? Is it like track record and huge stuff and huge numbers and you see the stuff plus and it makes you feel good or is two starts and this make you want to jump off the train? I'm not jumping off the train. No, okay. no. I, somebody with this much stuff I'm, I'm interested in, but you know, if you're going to have me rank him against Grayson Rodriguez or, you know, other pitchers, it would come into the effect. I would, I would, even though Grayson Rodriguez is behind him and stuff plus, I would put him ahead of, of Kyle Harris. Yeah, and I had him at six. I got him at six on my list. So just, you know, I have five guys ahead of him right now, but I don't think I'm going to make any moves off of those two starts. And the stuff plus kind of makes me feel good that at least it's still there. The command is not. Yeah. Well, it's, it's early going for everybody. And, you know, people, somebody asked me about the major leagues and said, why are these, why are these established guys blowing up? And, you know, it's never just one thing. You know, sometimes it's just early, you know, for some of these guys, sometimes it's, uh, you know, spin enforcement is up and spin is down. Uh, you know, dealing with the shift has, has changed, uh, how people are pitching and how people are dealing with it. So, um, I'd rather see a little bit more information on Kyle Harrison. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think about Harrison from a redraft perspective, because from a keeper and dynasty perspective, no one should be doing anything based on two and two innings. I think most people listening to the show understand that. If anything, if there's someone in your league panicking in a long-term league, you're swooping in and making a move because you're getting a slight discount right now. But Harrison, in deeper leagues, deeper redraft leagues, where you were stashing maybe one prospect to begin the year... Maybe he's further away. That's maybe the most actionable thing about this, is saying, okay, if, if the location is this poor right now this isn't going to be a thing where he can come out have two or three really good starts and then be the giants best option and the way that team's built too sort of builds in some buffer where they've got those older more established veterans where they don't have to put harrison in this position they're, they're not going to be desperate enough barring multiple injuries to that group of starters that are currently ahead of him they've been bringing up they've been bringing up um they have sean hegeli on the team too as like a stretch starter you know, fill in guy. Yeah. You almost so, wonder if they would consider something like that with Kyle Harrison down the road, because you know, part of that problem is I agree with what you're saying. The missed innings already. I mean, two, two and two third through two starts 
is probably at least three starts set back if you really think about the timeline. You know, I mean, like that is a pretty big backtrack because they've got clear command issues going on and he's just not establishing innings that if they were to feel... I mean, also, we give excuses to other guys in the PCL. We should give a little bit of an excuse to Kyle, uh, Kyle Harrison on the PCL, but maybe that's something that you know, it turns Kyle Harrison into more of a, like a Dre Jamison at the start with the Diamondbacks where you get him in longer, he's a spot starter. They want to get, you know, some of those innings in, but they might be better suited for shorter outings. It A million things you can break down with a guy like him, but I do think it changes the outcome a little bit on redraft where, yeah, go buy on Dynasty for sure. Not worried, not worried enough. I saw, I think that's a little bit of a buying opportunity uh, also for, for Harrison if, if, if his stock is down with his owner and, for example, I'm in a 20-team uh, uh, league called Devils Rejects. I picked up Simeon Woods Richardson just based on this. Yeah, it, it seemed well. It, it <laughs> seemed not? like it's a it's a free. It picker. seemed like Simeon Woods Richardson's stock really tumbled the last two years since that trade yeah. from Toronto to Minnesota, especially uh, kind of a disaster trade for both sides based on health and performance outcomes so far. But hopefully, in the long run, it works out better and everybody can do what they were expected to do. And the idea was he didn't have stuff because he didn't have Velo. Yeah, but, I mean, this 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 outing seems to like his stuff. Yeah, and so. I thought, originally, I thought he was kind of advanced for his age, maybe more of a, a command over stuff guy that, because of polish, was going to move really quickly. But if the stuff is actually playing up a little bit, maybe that ceiling's a bit higher. I, I think it's a great pickup if you're in one of those 20-team keeper dynasty leagues and he's actually sitting out there because being atop this leaderboard does mean something. I had one more question for you, you know, about the possible limitations, and this was maybe inspired by a tweet I saw this morning. Sam Dykstra from MILB.com tweeted the league slash lines through the early days uh, from all the minor leagues, and it is amazing. Midwest League, by the way, where it's pretty cold and weather is pretty crappy, has a combined 182, 287, 256 slash line as a league. Catch the fever in the Midwest League, right? Like, that is horrific, but... I. Nice place to be a pitcher. At the other end of the scale, and it's not surprising to see this at all, is the Pacific Coast League. PCL, hitter friendly, always has been. 271, 379, 465. How in the, I'll say it politely, F, are you supposed to develop pitching (laughs) in a league where the environments let hitters hit like that? And and also, like the, the bigger question for you is how much do the high altitude parks around the PCL? You know, Reno, which I think is like 4,500 feet, Albuquerque, which is also high, El Paso, those play like Colorado, right? We talk about what happens to Rockies pitchers in the model all the time. So don't we have this fighting against us in terms of using this to evaluate some of those pitchers at the minor league level too? Yeah, 100%. This this is on the list of things to do. We want to shape adjust location plus so that we get a better idea of what... uh, Pitches could go into certain locations. What kind of look? What command? How command and stuff interplay? We want to uh, platoon adjust uh, location plus. The platoon splits are not in there right, in stuff plus. I mean, it's not in there right now. And we want to altitude adjust stuff plus. And in the major league level, it doesn't seem as important because there's just one team. But it's still important because you want to know what Herman Marquez might do outside of. You want to know what Carlos Estevez could do as a closer, you know, what his true stuff plus is. And so, you know, it's, it's meaningful there, but it's also super meaningful in the PCL as you bring up. And that's one reason why I'm not. Also, there's a little bit of a question of how much 
time is spent cleaning this data. When you get numbers out of Savant from the major leagues, that's been cleaned, I think, maybe twice or three times by the end of the day. Because what first spits out from the game is raw and unadjusted and has some errors in it. Then at 6 a.m., they, they kind of clean it up again, you know. And, uh, and I think that sometimes uh, later in the day, they clean it a, th- a second or third time to uh, just remove any mistakes they've seen or, or update the classifications or, oh, that wasn't a sinker, you know, that sort of deal. Um, they, I don't think that they do that with the minor league stuff. Mm. So it's a little bit dirtier numbers, and it also includes a lot more altitude. So somebody like Brandon Fott, if I think he's good and he only has, you know, like a 96 stuff plus, um, you know, I think he has good locations. There are definitely pitchers in the major leagues that survive and thrive even with a 96 stuff plus starting pitchers. So, and then I think on top of that, that the altitude uh, might have dinged him a little bit in stuff plus. I'm not going to take it uh, too far to heart. Fair enough. Uh, Putting a bow on this part of our conversation, I'll throw this to you first, Welsh. Better 2023 redraft stash if you got one spot you can use on a pitcher stuck in the minors right now. Simeon Woods Richardson or Taj Bradley? Who would you rather have stashed away for this season? Oh, for this season? Man. Um, you know, I think I might. I, I like Taj Bradley overall, but I think if we're considering and really focusing on this year, I think it actually might be Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, I've I've always liked the arsenal. It's funny about Simeon Woods Richardson. Actually, the I went to the Dream Series out here in Phoenix some years ago, and I went to go interview Kumar Rocker when he was a high school, going to be potentially drafted. And Simeon Woods Richardson was also there, but he was going as a position player. He was taking BP, like this really athletic guy who's just got you know four pitches he can throw around, but he just didn't find all of that, and it seems to be picking back up. I feel, and I like Taj Bradley, though, like for the long term, but I just feel like Simeon Woods Richardson has a better opportunity to have actual impact this season where Rays are going to Ray. Like I just, I don't know where the, that spot would end up falling in. Like best case scenario, Taj Bradley is a piggyback off of like an opener, right? You know, it's like maybe coming off of like Jalen Beeks where Simeon Woods Richardson injuries. Um, also, I think it's fascinating. I think the Minnesota twins lead the league in strikeouts right now. Um, you know, really, really heavy as far as like what they're doing. If there were to be any injuries, it kind of feels like he would be one of the next guys up, especially with some of the metrics working in his favor. So Simeon Woods Richardson, I think is a better this year stash than Taj Bradley at the moment. How about you, you know? Yeah, I think that was an excellent point about the opener. You've got in Tampa, uh, Yanni Chirinos, although it doesn't look like he's pitched yet in AAA. Uh, you've got Luis Patino, who uh, hasn't pitched yet in AAA, <laughs> uh, but uh, showed uh, was one of the most improved stuff plus in the spring. And then you got Taj Bradley. They're all behind Josh Fleming, who is the six, but pitching as the five because you've got Tyler Glass now coming back. Yeah. So I think in ahead of Bradley, you, you would count Glass now, Fleming. Patino and maybe Chirinos. Whereas over in Minnesota, I think it's Bailey Ober and Simeon Woods Richardson. And and they're pitching in the same place. So Woods Richardson could leapfrog him. And you've also got 
uh, a rotation of, of veterans that have been hurt before. Tyler Malley's been hurt. Pablo Lopez has been hurt. Sonny Gray's been hurt. Kenta Maeda is just coming back. So there's a lot of possibility for injury there, and Woods Richardson is closer. I, I think that maybe Bradley is better long-term, but I, I don't know. I, I, wanna, I want more stuff numbers. Yeah, I think my lean would be the same, though, for shorter term. It's Simeon Woods Richardson. Longer term, I still think the ceiling's a little bit higher with Taj Bradley. I think the, the way the Rays would use him, as Welsh said, would be my biggest concern uh, if you're trying yeah. to map that out for the rest of this season. I did. One other positive to throw in real quick was uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, not to go belabor it, but uh, also on the 40 man. So I just want to throw that out. That's actually a nice little extra benefit. Bradley's not. Uh, Bradley might be, um, but not even focused on that was like, if Simeon Woods Richardson was not on uh, the 40 and Bailey Ober was there, it might be an excuse. That excuse isn't there because he is listed on the 40 man roster. So that's a positive for Simeon Woods. I believe Taj is as well. I'd have to go swoop over and look. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. I double checked. Yeah, he is He is on there. So that's that another key thing to think about, though, when you're looking at which prospects to stash. And, and if there's someone who's similar in skills, someone who's similarly valuable, projected similarly, they might have that edge to get the first call. And you may end up waiting a few extra weeks to get that opportunity. I want to ask you guys, what else is in your early season evaluation toolbox when we're looking at minor leaguers or guys who are working in the big leagues for maybe the first time or they're still very early in their career? This was something that was thinking about watching the Ken Waldachuk struggle against the Rays back on Friday, I think that was, when he was getting knocked around there. But what what else matters to you guys when you're looking at Limited samples, guys scattered at all different levels, different competition, or guys trying to make adjustments for the first time. And, you know, like what beyond the stuff plus model, like what else could make a big difference for you right now? Among minor yeah. leaguers? You know, uh, there's uh, a lot of research into uh, called strikes and, and swing strikes that suggest that they're equally valuable and. Uh, that makes sense to me, and it is sort of a marriage of stuff and and location. But swing strikes become stable, sort of stabilize faster or become meaningful faster, and so swing strikes are something that I look like I look for in the minor leagues. And I know I'm jumping ahead on this uh, rundown, but a I read the rundown, and b <laughs> we're never going to get to all of it. So Joe Adele right now has a 28.6% strikeout rate in the minor leagues. He is scalding the ball. I'm not necessarily going to look at that 735 ISO <laughs> because am I looking at you sure? Wander Franco's 750 ISO and, and saying he's going to keep that up. And, you know, it's it's ISO is probably the noisiest stat uh, or the slugging percentage is the noisiest stat that might be in anybody's toolbox. So I'm not looking at that. I, I am interested. His strikeout rate is down, but his swing strike rate is not meaningfully different than it was in the past. And so I do see a higher walk rate, and there's a chance that some of his approach has changed. But we've seen higher walk rates from him in the minor leagues that have not translated to the big leagues in the past. So I'm looking at Joe Dell's line, and I feel about the same as, about him as I ever did, which is I don't know if he's going to make it with the strikeout rate. I'll go one step further is I don't think they play him anywhere. Like look at the way the team's built, you know, with Hunter Renfro being brought in now as one of their corners trout of and hitting homers. Like, yeah, he's mashing right now. Trout and Taylor Ward. They obviously are going to play every day. Your DH spot is covered by Otani and they finally have better 
mix and match depth guys on this roster. That's one of the things the Angels did a nice job with over the course of the offseason. Because you look at guys like Jake Lamb and Gio Urshela. Brandon Drury kind of plays every day. but And even Urshela maybe plays most of the time as a shortstop. But they're not as thin as they've been in the past. So the the last guy on the roster is going to play less than usual. I think Adele at this point, we've been talking about this feels like for three years now, his best path to any sort of major league opportunity is not in Anaheim, very clearly. And I think you're right to be looking at the underlying numbers behind the strikeout rate to see if anything's actually changed. If he's still hacking away and doing what he's done, I, off and on, really, he's shown this ability before. Look at what he did last year at AAA. He only played 40 games there. He had 13 homers. Walked 11% of the time, struck out 31% of the time. He was better than a league average guy. He had a 348 ISO in 40 games at Salt Lake City last year. So I think this is just more of the same from a guy that is, unfortunately for him, really stuck in this organization. And unless they're going to flip him for bullpen help, I don't even know what you're going to get for Joe Adele in a trade right now. I, I, well, I don't know if he's a stash for me in redraft leagues at all, other than maybe AL only leagues. I think this is a great opportunity for the Angels. Uh, watching Jose Suarez pitch last night really mm. should like be a reminder that anything that they have that's valuable in their system, they should trade and they should go get pitching because Jose Suarez was horrific. And we're at a point where it's like, how much longer can this team justify all this awesome stuff that happens on offense and put out guys that can't give up less than four and three innings? And I like, and I'm, what I'm saying here is, I would take Zach Neto. I would take Joe Adele's hot start and move anything you can. I think you can sell excitement. No, I might might be the one I held on to just because shortstop has been an issue. I, I don't disagree, but like I also just think take anything. You know, they're they're progressively moving. They have the youngest, um, the youngest hitter in all of the minor leagues going. They're pressing, moving over um, extended spring training. Uh, Edgar Cuero, they're moving. I mean, they are just doing the same thing. Any guy that Call shows any Marlins success. and see if you can take Avisel Garcia's contract off their hands sure. and hand them Adele and they'll give you a picture for Yeah, me. but Adele, this is a prime opportunity for them that I think they should be aggressive because I uh, adding to what you were saying, one thing I think it's kind of interesting, though the numbers don't like pop to you or anything like that, but take it what... Joe Adele is doing in the minors with no information of anything changing. And then look at Jared Kelnick, who Jared Kelnick, you know, openly, we know the whole story, finally letting like, you know, outside people come into his little circle, working more in driveline, saw an incredible spring, and now he's hitting 300. And, you know, he makes a diving catch the other night, stealing bases, hits but a Adele's huge bomb. Adele's been a driveline for three years. Yeah, but, I'm, but <laughs> my point is, is like, Joe Adele has done nothing different. Jared Kelnick is doing something different, and we're seeing yeah, new so you'd results. Think, you'd think, like, as a different organization might think. Yeah, and, and there's to some extent, there's just uh, no one's given Adele a full shot yet. Like, what if you gave him 400, 500 plate appearances? You know, well, look or, what the what Cardinals would, are doing. His strikeout rate actually. The Cardinals went to Nolan Gorman this offseason. We're like, you can't hit high fastballs. That is your crutch. You need to fix this, and that is what he focused on. Guess what? That's Joe Adele's crutch. I mean, Joe Adele's unfortunately can't hit all of them, but the high fastball um, that has been like a well-known thing for him for quite some time. Josh Josh Lau is he making is he making some or Josh nope. Low? Uh, he's a low. He's a low. Brandon's a loud. But, you know, <laughs> right, go get Adele somewhere with a, an organization that can put that type of focus in and make a change. Even if Jared Kelnix isn't going to be super sticky and keep forever, K percentage dropped a tiny bit. It's still over 30%. Uh, he's making great defensive plays. He's doing something more. There's just nothing outside of like, he's in six straight games that makes us feel good about Joe Adele. 
given that given that context, actually, what I see in Jordan Dell's stats this year is that he's probably just laying off the high fastball. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right because he can't hit him. He cannot hit right. his own. Uh, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's going to work any better in the major leagues. No, and that's why I'm not a, a buy on him whatsoever. You know, just adding to what you were saying, DVR um, things I look at. I really try to focus on like obviously velo sustainability, you know, pitch pitch sustainability. If I'm looking at like pitchers, um, also something I'm really fascinated with too, and what I've likened it is with uh, Dre Jameson, is how catchers were treating them and seeing how that's going to monitor into the year. Like that first Dre Jameson when he replaced uh, Madison Bumgarner, he was more slider than anything else, and he had Gabriel Moreno at catcher. And then when he came in that next, I think it was, I don't think it was a spot start, but he came in again, Jose Herrera was his catcher and they went away from the slider. So like pitch usage is something I really want to monitor because Jameson was awesome when he was all slider and then Herrera fastball, fastball, fastball. He got banged up a little bit. And then what did he do against the Padres? Nelson Cruz comes in. They have the, they come to the mound, Dre Jameson, Three straight sliders to strike out Nelson Cruz ends the game. He needs to throw his slider a whole bunch more. So it's like watching the pitch mix and making sure like velo sustainability is out that's there. That's the main. That's also the main volatility beyond uh, atmosphere, atmospheric effects. That's the main volatility in stuff plus because uh, Kyle Harrison's mix? number is so high because he didn't make it out of the first inning. So he was still pumping fastballs and his fastball has this best stuff plus out of all of his pitches. Now that's still good news for him long-term, right? He has this awesome fastball, but his stuff plus is going to be lower if he throws a secondaries more in his next start. Mm, that's it. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's a, that's a really fascinating point that it like, it almost uh, manipulated the stuff plus because when he didn't have anything going, he goes, screw it. I got to go back to the fastball and I just got to mm. pump it. And then obviously that's going to, that's going to pop a little bit. That's interesting. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I was just thinking about Kevin Smith now that we were talking about Joe Adele because he's another guy that got off to a fast start at AAA this year and now he's up for the A's. I thought Kevin Smith was going to be good last year. In fact, I think I had a bold prediction last year that Kevin Smith was going to lead AL rookies in war or something, which would have put him ahead of Bobby Witt Jr. and Julio uh, yes, Rodriguez. That was my galaxy yeah. brain, off the wall, spicy, hot take. Give me all the hot sauce. Here's the stupidest thing I can say, and if I'm right, I will get to laugh so hard about it. I look like a moron if anybody remembered that, but I'm just bringing it up because, you know, when you... That's the way you say bold predictions are supposed They're to be. They're supposed that, to be stupid. And DVR, you know someone remembers that. You know someone's out there just waiting. They, <laughs> they got a draft save in their tweets like, Kevin Smith, the DVR, this is going to be a great one. <laughs> well, Kevin, I, I did get at least one tweet. I think it was it was actually uh, loyal listener OJ sent us a message and he's like, hey, you, you and I are probably the only people that care about this because I was really into Kevin Smith last year. <laughs> Kevin Smith so it wasn't even trolling me, but it was like the next level down for Victor Robles. Like there are certain players that a transaction occurs, a play is made, I get a tweet 
from somewhere. It's like <laughs> my old Gerald Cotton. Yes, it's it just, similar to like Vic, yeah, Victor Robles. I yeah, get the I get notifications. I don't have to turn notifications on for Victor Robles on any sort of platform. I just get them. They just happen. <laughs> they just just like, go to fly Twitter. right in my window. But Kevin Smith, we saw a lower K rate in the seven games. So much lower. seven games at AAA. Were the swing decisions better? It was actually five homers, four steals as well. So really good numbers. Kind of best walk rate he's had in the minor leagues. In seven and games. numbers that were more similar to what he did back in 2021 when he had that sort of age 24 rebound breakout with the Blue Jays. And that was accompanied by a swing change. I know that was something that pushed him onto, I want to say it was Keith Law's top 100 going into 2022. So it was weird to see this guy who was kind of stuck in Toronto, popping back up on some prospect lists. Getting a chance in Oakland, I'm thinking this is perfect. This is a this is a great buy low for the A's, and like many things, the A's have done at least year one of that experiment didn't go well. So, is anything different about Kevin Smith now, and is he actually a deep league target? Given that there's power, speed, and endless opportunity for playing time in Oakland, I mean, it was a nice beginning, but you've got that same thing with Adele, where he's got a, a large reduction in strikeout rate, but in fact, for him. An increased swing strike rate. And then he's got a 52% fly ball rate, which makes me nervous. So it's not all it's not all good in this minor league line, even though five homers, four stolen bases in seven games. I mean, it's about as hot as you can start a season. Yeah, go back to the PCL stuff. You know, I mean, hitting there like the the beginning of the year, um, you know, Tyler Soderstrom was putting up 113s on the Diamondbacks team. And, you know, there's a lot of big offense. I think the stolen bases are good. I think the most interesting thing across the board for that is the endless opportunity. That's what makes him intriguing. The Kevin Smith is a type of prospect that, uh, you know, prospect that I, um, I would always struggle with because there's barely ever any signs of real life. And then they just kind of keep going back to AAA. They do some stuff, get opportunity. It's like what happened with Brandon Drury with the Reds the other year. Like opportunity is he's 26 now. Yeah. It, he's starting to get into that, you know, well, I'm in my peak and yeah. I'm getting a chance now. Like, so I could get with it with that, but that wouldn't be a big aggressive thing I would have. Um, but it, you know, I just don't think anybody's going to stop him. So sure. Yeah. I think this is interesting, but Why I don't think sensibly up. What did you, what was the corresponding? One? Oh, one of their terrible players who shouldn't be in the big leagues got hurt. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's like create a player roulette like just try to pretend Jace, and see if you know Jace the name peterson no, no actually uh, jace peterson's at least a, like a big leaguer right i think it might oh, have seth, been, yeah, uh, seth brown yeah, seth, no seth brown it was, it was actually one of their good players it was seth brown so it was a yeah, large share of playing time uh, that opened up but there he didn't even need that and the okay i'm defending kevin smith now this is this is, here we go. This is my tuesday has gone to <laughs> absolute <Uh-oh>. pot <laughs> last season kevin smith 7.8 percent barrel rate i'll take that and it, it was a pretty bad strikeout to walk ratio. It was like five, almost six times as many Ks than walks. The slash line doesn't meet the contact quality here. Like a 182, 16, yeah, 302 is horrific. You should have zero barrels. 9% barrel rate and nearly 200 plate appearances for his career. Yes, like a, a, yeah, there's, there's something, something there. there. There's enough there for the A's to say, let's just see what happens for six weeks. And if it's not working out, fine. Send them back to Vegas and let him mash in Vegas some more. That's fine. He could be Seth Brown with speed <laughs> and more positional value. Yeah, I mean that would be a great. That would be a good fantasy asset. But like, is Kevin? What level is Kevin Smith? DVR is he deep league? Pick him up because maybe it works out. And you've talked about Kevin Smith's breakout, or is it like watch what he does over the next couple of days and then pick up? 
We talked about Edmundo Sosa on yesterday's show, getting that opportunity in Philly. I mean, <laughs> is, it, is it that different? Probably not. Sosa's career strikeout rate in the big leagues is a little bit lower. Also doesn't walk, but does show a little bit of barrel ability. Has a little bit of pop. Has a little bit of speed. It's, it's probably similar to that. And I think in a 15-team mixed league where you're looking for that last spot on your bench, throwing a buck or two in fab out of 1,000, I think you could, you could waste money on worse players somehow. Believe it or not, even though the slash line last year would say that's the worst player you've ever picked up. <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. Uh, graduated prospects, also a thing that's happening early in this season. We got into this just a little bit, I think, at the, the end of last week's show. Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, Josh Young, Hunter Brown, Spencer Steer, Ken Waldachuk, among maybe even a few others, and more to come, of course. Yeah. Do you like uh, how, how quickly players graduate off of the the lists that you make Welsh like does it does it kind of drive you crazy or does it actually get you kind of excited that you get to see some fresh names moving up it gets me excited because you look at the same names forever and there's also this element of like there are guys that you want off I will tell you I wanted Spencer Steer off this list because it's (laughs) like what do I do with Spencer Steer like I kind of like him he's playing but eh. like I want some of these guys to go off and there's um there's kind of a the, the fresh eyes look when like when I got to take Gunner and Corbin Carroll off and you start to really like pay attention, here's your new number one. And, oh, this guy just moved up and having the realization that, you know, this guy is now a top 20 player. I think it gives it for me, it gives me like different value perspectives of when they start to come off. And I think, as I mentioned in the show last week as well, one thing that I think is really fun to start toying with with this idea is by the time May comes around. You are going to have players that were in, you know, ranked around low 30s and whatnot that might end up being pseudo top 20 prospects just by virtue of graduations and people not jumping in and moving a whole lot of players up. So it just kind of gives you some new inherent value. But yeah, when the graduations start to happen, I've got brand new top 100 players. And personally, on my list, the some of the guys that jumped into the top 100 are some old faves that have had really good early starts, particularly just throwing out one that I love. Uh, and I've really been rooting for is like Khalil Watson, who famously last year had like a 45% strikeout rate for some of the early goings. But, you know, so far so good in his first couple starts in the first couple games, already got a homer, got a stolen base, hitting over 400, which is what you want to see, and has more walks than strikeouts at high A right now. And that to me, uh, I had talked on my Prospect One show earlier in the year that like, I didn't have a lot of spring training quantifiable stuff of why I wanted uh, to say that he was going to break out outside of his manager saying he looked like one of the best. And now you're seeing it in game. He's not striking out. All the tools are in play. And that's a guy that jumped back into the top 100. So just kind of throwing that out as guys are graduating. It's more excuse to move some players up and maybe even be a little aggressive early on in ranks. Yeah, I I imagine staring for years sometimes at the same names actually gets frustrating. Uh, I mean, it's... It's just the nature of, of ranking Luis Urias was a famous one. Our our mutual friend James Anderson and I, James and I had about an entire offseason where we were just like, we want him the hell off of this list. Like, what do you do anymore? And that just happens with these guys. Like, you know, if I were to because start you, you had them high, and but they're getting older. And every year they get older, you, you should probably drop them if they're still on it. And you're battling mm-hmm. like proximity versus like the new hot right. and young and up and coming guys. And, and that's where it's like, I would like you to go. Like, uh, if I'm being honest, I kind of want Francisco Alvarez to go away. I kind of want him off the list because it's like, 
I like the bats going again, but he was a little, you know, stopped. Oswald Peraza is another one of those. Get off the list, please. Let's just graduate so I don't have to look at it anymore. Because then you're really starting to to have this battle of like, what do I value? This guy who can compete this year, who's had some decent major league results, but questionable minor league or whatever, compared to the next big up at Miguel Blaze with the Boston Red Sox or Anthony Gutierrez, who's or one of the youngest players. Yeah, that's age. that's the ultimate battle for me is is the young floor ceiling versus proximity always. Yeah. I think it's there's a lot of opportunity here in in this process, and we've seen it already in the past. Um, Carson Sestouli had a, 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 had a column on fan graphs. What was it called? Prospects, something about prospects, but uh, Fringe Five. Mm. There it is. <laughs> fringe DVR Five. DVR had it, came, yeah. Came to my brain right at the same time it came on the screen. Uh, fringe Five. And and the, the whole idea was these are players that are not, not on lists right now, but maybe they're not on lists just because of the cyclical nature of lists. We have the big list before the season, and then we have the mid-season update, and then we have the post-season update. But there's all these ups and downs and graduations going on between. A real list would be fluid, and yet that's impossible to ask of, especially of prospect public prospect workers who, up for the most part, are part time. You know, there's there's a few full timers, and then there's a lot of people just doing this for the love of it and 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 doing it as a hobby. So you know, asking them to just, what's your top 100 right now, right now, like, you know, a week after the season starts, I need to know right now. And so he actually created an opportunity for himself with a major league team where he is sorting through the prospects that are in between these lists and, and, and maybe popping up due to performance, but not in, in front of, not, the, not due to scouts, you know, that sort of said performance prospects is a, is a word I use sometimes. That's kind of like the, that's like the, the robo scout stuff. You and I did an episode on a like, little bit, like yeah. a Vaughn Brown would be one of those mm-hmm. Justin Durden. Those would be the fringe five guys for sure. I think Jonathan Aranda actually might be in that fringe five. I think he actually, to me is the quintessential one of like, you know, playing time versus production versus what we've seen before. Um, he might be a bigger name than a few he's a of those hard guys. one to put to put down right now too, and you might be just itching for him. To I want him up. He is. No, he might be number one. I just I was scrolling through my list as we were going, and I was like, what position does he play? Go and away, what Aranda. is his opportunity with the Rays? Really, we saw Vidal Bruhan go through this already, and like, oh, B. Bruhan's probably still got to be on some list somewhere. He no, graduated. I think he's exhausted. He, he graduated. Yeah. He found his way. Took. <laughs> Took a lot more time than it should have, but uh, it actually happened. The Fringe Five originally, I think, was a whiteboard on the wall near my desk because back in the day, Carson Sestouli was working at Rotowire part time. Like he, he crossed paths Whoa. in Madison, so he was working at Rotowire for a little while. Probably it's probably ten years ago now, at least. Charlie Blackman was on that board once. I remember distinctly. Charlie Blackman was yes. on the Fringe Five board. I don't know if that was his biggest hit ever, but it was among Charlie the and I have a good relationship just because I pointed out that my homeboy was Carson Sestouli. And he's like, yes, I love Carson. He put me on the map. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, that map was literally a whiteboard hanging on the wall next to my desk. Mookie Betts. The first time I ever picked up Mookie Betts was because of the Fringe Five. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of a fun exercise. I, I mean, I know... There have been all sorts of systems to try and dig up players like this, and they, it's it's like the most fun part of evaluating players. Casey Schmidt maybe would would fit. A lot of times it's guys who are a little old for the level. They're either old for the level because of things that are out of their control, like 
injury or maybe they went to a smaller college and you know didn't have the opportunity to leave early all these things like there's all these reasons why a player could kind of slip under the radar smaller bonus international player that picked up velo or picked up some tools while working in the lower minors for a while lots of ways to to make a list like this but i always thought that was a a really great feature that carson put together it's it's tougher too now too because it's like you know what would a current fringe five look like would it be comparative because the only people, I, I gotta be honest with you, I feel like the only major focus on top 100 lists is real baseball prospect that has no consideration of fantasy. Mm-hmm. MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, top 100s are very popular there. In the fantasy world, it's not about top 100s. It's a top three, four, five hundreds. That's kind of how the prospect, fantasy prospect world lives. So like a fringe five that is based off of the top 100 might actually be very relevant still to fantasy ones. Um, but you could still kind of dig in. And I think it, it comes back to what we we're talking about. It becomes very like um, auto generated robo scouty where it's like, you know, guys that have big pop numbers in places, those become the fringe guys and like all the guys like we talked about, but a, a new era of fringe five might have to be a little bit different than a top 100 focus. Yeah. Prospect lists are yeah, huge I, I think compared to what they were 10 years ago. They are much yeah. longer and deeper yeah. there. There now I got this. Uh, I've got this prospects live. You know, monstrosity here, yep. you know, and there's like, this is like one of mine, you know, what, five or six of these books <laughs> right there. Yeah, exactly. I know. I mean, I, I got two right here. If people can see, I got the prospects live and the baseball America, uh, right down there as I'm sitting here looking at my own top 500 list that I have that goes over a thousand players that I don't even, uh, publish. So <laughs> it prospect, the prospect game is just so different. There's so many opinions. There's so much into it that sometimes it actually is a little refreshing to just, you know, get into like some names that no one's talking about and stat wise, but that's like a fun, that's a fun uh, reliving the process when, when prospecting was good and <laughs> clean and pure, everybody, the French five. I don't want to become the kind of person that harkens back to 10, 15, 20 years ago. It was better back then. Not everything was better back yeah. then, but that was yeah. a great era for just mining random prospects. You start talking about score sheets next. Uh, no, no, well, no. you know, now you have the opportunity. Like, for example, I've got a fringe three off of my stuff plus list okay. today. Here are here are their names: Riley Thompson, JP France. I guess I'll, I'll throw Logan Allen in there. Yeah, I don't think he's. Yeah, where where is he in the top hundred? Uh, is he in the top hundred? He's and he, he's on a few top one hundred lists. He's a fringy top one hundred or inside the top one hundred guy. He's the biggest well, name these, of those. Those guys. three guys were in my top ten, uh, in in uh, by Stuff Plus among starters. And you know, one of the responses I got was you know from a Astros fan saying, "Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand why they protected JP France, Thanks. but maybe this is part of why." And it may end up the Josh James route. You know, he also has a 72 location plus in his big in early going. And if you look at his background, he has a lot of high strikeout rates and high walk rates. So there's probably a command problem there. But uh, can you tell me anything about Riley Thompson? I think, you know, I don't even think he's on the 40 man that people were talking about, you know, his team maybe losing him. No, I mean, Riley Thompson, I think I saw pitch once in Cubs camp not too long back. Um, they've actually done a lot of good stuff on the upper tier of uh, a lot of those guys that have been like fringe triple uh, A to major league. Like Caleb uh, Killian is another one of those guys, but uh, the six strikeout numbers, a big bodied guy as well. Six strikeouts, four innings, 
good early run off of last year though ERA has been fringy it was 442 in double a I think this is like just early good results but a big strikeout rate increase last year off of his single I know I'd like to so. see the pitch I like to see if there's um if there's any addition you know like how I talked about like with Bryce Miller like Bryce tells me oh I'm now doing gyro and and a sweeper I'd love to know because I don't actually Lance Brozdowski would probably be someone that would be fantastic here as he covers the Cubs if there is a pitch mix difference here is Riley Whoa, throwing anything different? this is pretty crazy He's throwing six pitches by okay. our model. And the changeup, slider, four seam, and cutter are all plus. The sinker is eh, and the curve is a minus. Well, that's six pitches. So throw the four good ones. <laughs> I don't know if the Yeah, right. He before. could even he could be even better if he if he didn't throw the sinker and curve. This you uh, gotta spare yourself uh, the, the Jeff Zimmerman uh flow chart that ends with are you yeah, you right. <laughs> <laughs> then don't throw all six. <laughs> DVR, I wanted to bring this up before since we're getting to the end of the show. Um, this is one I actually spent some time watching last night. Uh, one of the first comments I saw when you posted this, you know, yesterday was, oh my God, Brandon Fott isn't on this list. He's way down there. He was a 99.8, I believe, on the Stuff Plus, which was like 27th or something. And I was curious at your take on him because I, re- I watched, and this is only off the first start. I watched his second start last night, every single pitch. I went through the whole thing. And what doesn't show up on the stat line was interesting is he went three and two thirds, no hit. He had a no hitter going in. Um, You mentioned earlier the umps, really bad umps. Oh my God. He got squeezed on four different calls, which could have been strikeouts and one, which ended up being a homer. He threw a slider on the outside corner that didn't end up going. He was heavy fastball, big slider. Command was his problem, but he was pumping it past guys like Mike Ford, Jose Caballero, um, I mean, like actual major leaguers in here. I was way more impressed, and I think you're going to see a much bigger number in this next start. He ended up giving up that one homer. He walked two, and he came out after around 70 pitches. But again, no hit through three and two-third. And I feel like there is this like upped tick of chaos that's going on with him, and the stuff plus numbers from the first start, I think, jumped out to people to make them freak out are you freaked out at all especially that there is a second start to kind of bounce off of you just don't have the stuff plus numbers yet i just uh i'm not freaked out like i said that the atmospheric effects uh the quality of the data what i what i what really makes me not know what to say is ryan nelson because <laughs> the you know, the whole thing with Stuff Plus is that it beats K minus BB in small samples and tells us more about their possible for future strikeout rates than their current strikeout rates. And yet we've got Ryan Nelson doing it again with a 12.5% strikeout rate and a 10% walk rate and a 106 Stuff Plus with four pitches that are well clear of, uh, of, of average in Stuff Plus. If Ryan Nelson is good, then you're waiting on them to DFA Madison Bumgarner, mm-hmm. which may still happen, but I don't know how long that runway is. Here's a weird question. I don't know if either of you guys have the answer to this. How was Ryan Nelson mostly a reliever in college? How is that guy not a starter? That happens a decent. Well, he's still pitching like a reliever. He's still throwing all his fastball so much. And that's a pretty common thing. Like the Dimebacks actually, I, I think they like to do that, by the way. They just drafted Landon Sims, who was a reliever, a really a 
renowned reliever who then in his last year of college transferred over to being a starting pitcher and then had Tommy John, of course. And then he's coming back and he's like a crazy underrated pitcher. He was one of the best pitchers in baseball when he converted from being a reliever into a starter. And I think it's, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think sometimes that might be good for some of these guys where they get to hone in on like two really dominant pitches on the back end of the rotation, which a lot of starters do anyways. And then they can just kind of stretch them out towards the end and the developmental process with the right team ends up working out. But yeah, I think that is interesting. Ryan Nelson feels like a guy who's always been a starter. I'm just still not impressed. Like you're saying like the, the K numbers aren't, aren't there. I'm worried he's going to start just getting hit. And I feel like he doesn't have a lot of like, when he does get hit, there's no redeeming qualities. You know what I mean? There's no other redeeming qualities. The strikeout numbers are not going to be there. Maybe he's not going to walk quite as much, but I still don't even think, even if it were only Madison Bumgarner, that holds me back from wanting to stash Brandon Fott. I think he needs to go deeper into games. That was his big thing last year. More innings than anybody, more strikeouts than anybody. He hasn't gone five in his first two. The second start was in Tacoma. It was rainy. It was cold, it looked like, and he was dominant with the fastball. But the pitch mix also was a problem. That's what I was mentioning earlier. He was 73% fastball in that first start where you got the stuff plus, which is interesting, you know, because you were saying how like Kyle Harrison got away with it. He practically only threw the uh, the fastball in that first start. We didn't get to see that slider, which may have also altered um, Brandon Fought in putting up bigger stuff plus numbers. I am dying to see what this next start is going to be and see if it gets any better. Oh, I've got two starts in here. Oh, you do have two starts now? Because the one you posted was the the first, right? I don't know. I think it's got two starts in here. It says his slider is a 114. His curve is a 113. I like that. Two breaking balls plus. The four seam is uh, a 97, which will play in the major leagues. Um, And it doesn't like his change, but A, he he could, with a slider and curve, ignore the change. And B, a 15-pitch sample for change-ups is not enough. And he's got to throw his curveball more. He doesn't throw it quite enough. It's He's a heavy slider, and that's why. Yeah, I do see it now updated to the two, so I guess it didn't really push it uh, enough because I, I didn't think that first game would have registered enough on the slider uh, to pop, but, yeah, still not quite there. But big plus numbers. I mean, I, I still curve. think there's a lot here. Two breaking balls that register that well, and a 97-stuff-plus fastball is, is, is enough of an arsenal, even if the change-up doesn't work out. Buy, 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 buy some pitchers. Go buy some Kyle Harrison. Go, go buy some PCL top prospect pitchers. Yeah. What I say, I'd still prefer to hold Brandon Fott to Simeon Woods Richardson and Taj Bradley too. If that's if that's an option, if you still can choose between the three, I just I... well because you have even if you even if like I you can hear how conflicted I am about Ryan Nelson. Even if Ryan Nelson stays, you have this Bumgarner option, and Fott seems like very obviously next because Drew Jameson's in a, a hybrid role now, right? And Zach Davies is hurt. Right, took that oblique injury. Yeah, that's why. Dre, yeah, Dre's going to start on Friday because he's taking that spot from Davies, who's going to be out. Uh, I think quite a while. Yeah, so probably at least a month. But Baumgartner's numbers continue to be terrible. Terrible. And there are literally people on ter- on Twitter talking about DFA. Mm. Well, I mean, also the Diamondbacks can't justify. They're the number one. They they have they sit atop the NL West right now. They lead the league in stolen base. Like. You take all that together, you can't put out literally one of the worst pitchers in baseball and like and he hasn't show face. made a single change to his arsenal or approach. Of course not. It like ever. It always worked for him know. until it didn't. Maybe, maybe maybe there's some tweaks. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit, but we don't see anything on the outside. Yeah. There's no like change, there's no new pitch, there's no change in movement. There's 
Just the same idea over and over. If he again. changed it's his insane. oil, the car still runs the same. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect note for us to uh, begin signing off. Just a reminder as we go, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Welsh on Twitter at is it the Welsh. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. 